Hello and welcome to Sir Thriver Unleashed. I'm Reno Romano, your host and a Sir Thriver and advocate for survivors of child sexual abuse and sexual assault. This show is all about the endless positive possibilities of Sir Thriving after sexual abuse. So let's get started with today's program. Hello, Sir Thriver. I'm Rena Romano, and, and my guest today, I'm so excited to have her, Dr. Cassandra LeClaire. She's an award-winning professor, author, communication consultant, and motivational speaker. She's an expert on communicating feelings and improving connections. She is also a Sir Thriver of childhood sex- sexual abuse, and she's here to share the wonderful things she's doing after trauma to give us all hope. So welcome. Hello. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Cassandra, I'm so excited to have you here. And I, I was looking at your website, your book, and I, I have not had a chance to read your book. And it's called Being Whole, Healing from Trauma and Reclaiming My Voice. Yeah. So congratulations on your book. When did you publish it? So it came out just at the end of November 2019. So it's oh. not even out a year. Wonderful. Wonderful. So what was it like in writing that book? Did it, had you gone through all your healing from your trauma before you wrote the book or? You know, that's a really a, a great question because I didn't plan to write this book. I never planned to, to write the book. I wow. was going about my life and I was doing great. And <laughs> then, uh, you know, so I, I was fine. I was good. And then um, my family, we were involved in a car accident. We were hit by a drunk driver. And suddenly after the accident, I was, I, I was afraid. But it wasn't a, a fear response that matched up with the level of the accident. I was just terrified. And so that caused me to have so many memories and to go back and to really have to address things that I myself have pushed aside my whole entire life. You know, even though I was fine, you know, and, and thriving by, by the outside eye, you know? And so I, I had to go back and really dig in and confront these things and heal. So as I was doing that, I journal. And so I was writing and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote, and it still wasn't a book. It was my journal when I was finished or, you know, finished, we're never finished healing. Right. Um, I was reading back and I'm a researcher, you know, I'm a communication studies professor. So I look for patterns and themes and I saw these glaring patterns in my own journal. Wow. And I I was like, Oh shit. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. (laughs) Oh shit. And, and it really was this, this eye opening moment. I'm, I'm even getting emotional remembering it. Because I realized what it was. I realized how so many pieces, you know, my need for validation, this fear I had, this idea that I was never going to be good enough, the, you know, wanting to be more worthy, wanting love, all of these themes were just present over and over in my journals. And so I truly felt this calling that I was supposed to put this book together because I knew I wasn't the only person who had this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, having going through trauma and then experiencing a different type of trauma bring up a lot of things that we've still suppressed. 
-hmm. and it wants to come out. So you had more healing to do. So I'm glad that you, that you touched on that. When did you first get help for your abuse, for your child sexual abuse? Not until I started writing that book. (gasps) Wow. And when did you start writing it? Uh, so it was in 2018. So, and then you published in 2019. Wow. And when did you get your doctorates in? Um, so my PhD is in communication studies and I got that in 2008. And so I've been a professor. I live in Texas now and I've been a professor, um, here since then. Wow. Okay. All right. So yeah, you, you had mentioned something and I agree. I went through counseling 30 years ago. And I thought I was healed. Um, but healing is a steady process. It, it's a continuing process. And and like I say, I have friends who have never had the trauma that you and I have had. But I see them healing from things, you know, self-esteem, self low self-confidence, no self-worth. And they haven't gone through the trauma that you and I have. Writing the book, then you realize that that's when you started getting help. What I, what I realized or what I've said is that I've been healing my whole life. I've been in therapy, I've done different things, but I was never healing the right part. So I was constantly, I I was after, you know, so everything I did to heal from my trauma were, were so many things I was already familiar with, you know, going to therapy, medication, different, all those things had been part of my life for other things. Right realized is since I was never addressing that core issue and never actually realizing the connection to my abuse, I could have went on the rest of my life thinking I was fixing whatever was right in front of me getting by, but I never would have felt the peace and the happiness I feel now because I finally went back to what I really needed to heal from. And, and can, can you tell us what the core root of that was to, that you needed to heal? I needed to acknowledge and give voice to the fact that the abuse even happened. I needed to, I needed to say that I needed to really look at the ways, because for me, what did so much damage in the themes of my book is the psychological damage. My abuser was an expert at psychological manipulation. And so it was those themes that were embedded in my, in my brain. And I, I kept going to those patterns. And so, you know, we create coping mechanisms to keep ourselves safe, but then sometimes after the trauma's over, we hang on to those things and they become these patterns that we can't escape from. And so, you know, my book, those patterns in my book, that's why I think it appeals to people who haven't even had, you know, the traumas maybe that you and I have, because those themes and those patterns of self-doubt or, you know, feeling unworthy. So many people, like you said, experience that and we keep yeah. doing that same pattern over and over and over until we can be really honest with ourselves about trying to break it and break free and, and be a survivor, like you're saying, you know, to really get to that place. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I trademarked the word survivor because I wanted uh, and, and people ask, well, why not just thriver? And because I wanted the S.U.R. to stay on there to to show other survivors that we don't have to be ashamed of their crimes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm proud to say I'm a Sir Thriver because when you and I share our story now, it's helping other people. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. helping other people. So, so the trauma of the car accident brought up a lot of things and 
probably PTSD and, and some issues and emotions you didn't think you really needed to deal with, but you did. So I know that inspired you to write the book. How has um, the response been with your family and friends after writing the book? It's been incredible. I I talked to my family before I put the book out and I, I have two teenage children. So I also spoke to them because, you know, this was a lot to take on and I knew it would change their lives too. We live in a smaller area and, and I, I've been just overwhelmed at the love and support I've received because when I talk about my story in the book and I do talk about my patterns, people who know me and who've known me a long time, suddenly I make more sense to them. I think because they're like, oh yeah, she does do that. Or, oh, now I understand why she was the way she was because I really was very raw and vulnerable. And that's not because I'm trying to make excuses for any of my behaviors, but I really was owning, like, here are some of the things. And so it's been, it's changed my relationships for the better because I've also really felt, you know, who understands me and sees me for this this part of me now that I'm never going to be silent on again. Right. <laughs> I, I just put up a cover on my Facebook. I'm never going to be remembered as a woman who kept her mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm okay with that, right? That too. I'm okay with that too. I'm okay with that. Well, I'm so glad to meet with you because I have uh, was stalking you too on all your social media. And, and I think you're just fantastic at what you're doing. Would you encourage other survivors to journal, to write a book, publish a book? I mean, what do you think about that? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And that's one thing I really, I can't highlight enough. I did not know what I was doing and I didn't have a ton of money. I didn't have a publisher. I did this myself and it is completely feasible and doable. And even if you don't want to actually publish the book, you having that for yourself and just really letting it out and, and even the journaling, don't put pressure on yourself with it. There's, there's nothing. I don't sit down every day and think, what should I write about? Or I have to write about this. I write whatever's in my head. And usually that goes somewhere. It goes where it needs to go. And, and just doing that. And slowly, if you make that your pattern, then eventually you'll start, you know, going to that more and more. I, I personally feel it is very valuable. Good. Yeah, I do. You know, I never put anything in writing for years because to put it in writing was acknowledging that it did happen. And I was so mad and I was stuck in that anger. But once I started writing, um, the process became a little easier and I felt that it was freeing to let all that garbage out of me. So what did you find that was kind of challenging through your writing process? Was it challenging? Was it freeing? Can you share a little bit about that? I think the a couple of things. One thing that was really helpful to me, so I'd say this to anyone too, is I had to look at my writing as happening whenever I was saying something, even in my head. So there would be times where I would just speak audio notes into my phone, or if I was driving, I would just talk into my phone, you know, have the phone up beside me. And I did the same because yeah, I think that is so valuable. So I want to just, like you say, encourage, it's not like you have to have a big block of time where you're sitting and writing this massive story. I didn't do it that way at all. Um, I found the writing. I mean, uh, if anyone comes in when I am writing, I mean, my kids know by now, they'll be like, mom's writing. 
because I'm crying. I'm doing it because it, it's it's simultaneously painful and cathartic. But every so I cry. It's emotional. And it's that release, though. Every tear is like a release of toxicity, you know, and, a, and more healing. And so the the words that I write or the ways that I write about it, it's something where I'm also just healing myself more deeply. And so it it felt exhausting sometimes, you know, as any emotional work can, but it also felt so powerful because then I was reclaiming ownership. And even now when I see my book, sometimes I'm surprised. Cause I'm like, Oh, I did that. I did that. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something you should be proud of. And, and you know, the thrive perspective is based on being proud of our courage, strength, and tenacity of living through what we live through and not being ashamed of that. And I love your book because you have a Gensugi uh, bowl on that. And I have a bowl, uh, Similar to that in my TEDx talk. So I really connected with when I saw that on your book. I thought that was really cool because we do feel broken. We do feel not good enough. What are some of the steps that you took? I know writing is a big process and writing does help. But what else helped you feel whole again? I had to, like, say, acknowledge what had happened. I really needed that part of it. I had to um, get to a place where I could tell other people. Mm-hmm. And that was really important to me. And and, and to, especially since I it was so many years after the fact, too, you know, I, I really I still just needed to say say some things out loud. The other things that helped me were to really um you know, I've taught about boundaries for years, but I wasn't always so good at doing them for myself, you know, and that's a hallmark of a lot of abuse survivors. It's so easy for us to tell others how to do it, right? For sure. Oh, for sure. And so for me, one of the things that was integral in my healing is is really getting clear on my boundaries and understanding, you know, speaking those to my relational partners, my friends, And it was interesting to me because so many people that I knew weren't necessarily used to me having boundaries and protecting my time. Yeah. And so my, you know, several of my relationships went through adjustments, but that was healing to me because I realized that I can have friendships and be a nice person and be a caring person, but I can still, you know, keep what I need for myself. And I wasn't doing that. I was giving and giving, giving too much. So we are definitely, I think, uh, trauma going through what we did, we become yes people because we want to, we want to please people. We want to be nice to people. We don't want to, um, we, we don't want to hurt anybody, but really the person we are hurting is ourself. And we come become resentful to those people we're saying yes to. And really it's not their issue. It's ours. Absolutely. And that's what I teach. And I had to take a real, really good look in the mirror and, and, and look at for myself because I don't have a right to get mad at someone if they're allowing me to do something I said I was okay with. Right. And so that was, um, but you know, it, it is interesting because it's something that I had to go back and work through and it's made me, it's made all of my relationships better. You know, the ones that I really value and the ones that it didn't make better, it made me understand that those weren't relationships I needed to keep in my life. And so the whole experience has been 
transformative, not just from the healing, from the trauma, but then also in the rest, in every area of my life, my kids notice a difference because I'm not walking around with this undercurrent of anxiety that I didn't even know was there. Or a big chip on your shoulder, right? Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I still have triggers or I'm still going to adjust to things, you know, as they come up, but if they don't come out of nowhere anymore to everyone around me, because I also can identify them or I can speak, speak about them or say, Hey, I need to step back or, you know, so like you say, it's, it's changed. It's changed all sorts of things that I never even expected it to. And for the better, I mean, it's, it's life is a journey and life is healing. And some people don't even realize the things they need to heal. Writing, I think, was very important. It helped me release a lot of the toxic stuff that I kept inside of me. And I remember finishing my book. The day I finished my book, I just felt this release of everything coming out of me. And it just felt so freeing. And I agree with you, you know, acceptance, acknowledging what happened is first and learning to forgive myself Mm-hmm. For a lot of things too. And what I like to tell people is, you know, I made a lot of bad choices. That doesn't make me a bad person. Right. Would, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. That's, I mean, and that it's interesting, you know, we have so many parallels because, and that's the thing. I think there are these themes, these patterns are things that so many of us go through because I said the same, I was the hardest to forgive. It was me. Because I did yes. carry, I carried that weight of all of those bad choices I was making. And so, but really free now freeing myself from those decisions and some of those patterns and recognizing that every day I get the choice to make new patterns and new choices and, you know, I have that ability. And so it's, yeah, it's like I say, those themes that are present for so many of us. And that's why we have to keep doing this and keep talking about them and encouraging other people to do that so that people do know that they're not alone in this at all. And that's why I'm starting this movement, Sir Thriver. I, I, I acknowledge my past. I, you know, I, I'm tired of being ashamed of their crimes. Yes. I share that in my TEDx talk, but that's what happens. We carry the shame and we're, we're stuck in a lifetime sentence if we don't release that shame. So writing the book and telling your friends what happened to you, do you think that was part of the process of releasing the shame for you? I think it was, yes, I think taking ownership and releasing the the shame in that blame and that fear and that guilt for me, a huge one was fear. I have had anxiety my whole life and, you know, I still do. I'm not trying to say this solved my anxiety, but the anxiety that I was feeling is much different than the normal anxiety that you would expect. I, I, I released so much of that because it was really fear that I was carrying around and so for me, my TEDx talk was the big one that helped me release a lot of fear too, because I stood up in front of all of those people and said it out loud. And, you know, now there's that link and I can share and share and share and it's there. And I did that. And that was such a powerful moment. And it was cool because I got to do it in this place where I felt loved and supported. And, mm-hmm. and I know you feel that too. And it, it, it's just, there's something so powerful about that because you're right. Like, we don't have to ever be silent because it's, we didn't do anything. And so that's, it's, 
yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's freeing. It is freeing. What's the, what's the title of your TEDx talk again, please? It's called Being Open, Healing from Trauma, Crisis, and Stress. Awesome. Um, one of the things about, you know, as we've talked about, I think, you know, everyone is walking around with those things in some way, shape or form. And so for, and you never know what's going to cause somebody to go back to things, you know, that car accident, like you say, wasn't the worst thing that's ever happened to me, but it's the thing that made me break and go back to my healing. And so really being able to recognize that all of us have these pieces that, you know, maybe we need to look at a little more deeply or really be honest with ourselves about how it's impacted us. I think that that can be really valuable. Absolutely. So you do talk on boundaries. What's one thing you could share on on setting up boundaries? I think I, I have to remind myself of this one all the time because as a former people pleaser, and <laughs> I'm a yes person, is that other people's reactions shouldn't change your boundary, okay? Because another person's reaction is that's their feelings about your boundary. And you don't, your boundary is your yes and your no, right? So I do have to remind myself of that because I do still have a tendency. So say I say something, you know, like, hey, I don't know, I don't feel like doing that or it's not where I'm going today and somebody feels hurt. My instinct is to then change, it is. It is. To protect them uh-huh. instead of protecting us. I have to constantly remind myself that, uh, you know, and I can be conscious of their feelings and be aware of them and attend to them. I'm not saying just ignore people's feelings, but to really remember that I don't have to change what my yes or my no is because of somebody's feelings. That's that- true. That's huge. That Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and another thing I think with boundaries too, we don't have to explain our no. Absolutely. No is a complete sentence, right? I mean, it is no period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I get asked to do a lot of things, you know, before the, the COVID and I was saying yes to a lot of things. And I was just, I was tearing myself apart. I was, you know, being pulled thin and I had to learn to say, I'm not available to help you. But, you know, if I knew somebody was and they would like to do it, I would recommend somebody or whatever. But mm-hmm. I learned that I didn't have to explain my no. And I think that was a huge portion of the boundary setting because self-care is not selfish. No, not at all. And saying no is Mm self-care. Absolutely. And protecting that space for yourself. Somebody once told me, I think this is a great phrase to say, that sounds like a wonderful opportunity. It just doesn't fit with my life right now. Like, that's a wonderful way to say it, right? <laughs> because that's so, so often the things we are asked to do, that's what's hard about saying no. You know, if it's something you didn't want to do, it, it's easier, right? You're like, right. No. But so often, in, or it, you know, especially when it's work that appeals to you or you know you could be helpful or of service, it's hard harder to say no in those instances sometimes. So to really, you know. It absolutely is. And that's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, last year I was offered a business opportunity with somebody that I really admire and I I want to keep in my circle, but what they were offering and the investment I would have to make, I'm like, I really thought about it and she's still in my circle, but I was able to say, you know, that that doesn't serve my business model at this point because I'm changing. I'm going to do more podcasting and interviewing survivors or thrivers and, and doing more of that. So that's huge. It just doesn't, 
fit into my business model. And that was so freeing to be able to say that. And it's, it's amazing when you, when you know you're in great relationships, when you can say those things and it, it isn't offensive to somebody or they don't take it personally. Right. Because right. that's the other thing, like nobody should take another person's boundary personally. Right. Unless I tell you, Hey, this is about you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, we shouldn't, you know, they need to, to own their own emotions and how they react to yes and no. So, um, but we, we teach what we need to learn, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I teach all of the things that I do and I'm working through it every semester, just like my students are. (laughs) And your college professor, correct? Yes. Yep. I, I teach, I teach how to express feelings and emotions and I teach about relationships and boundaries. Like you say, all the things that I do. And I think so many are thrivers. I'm, I love your word. I'm going to use it all the time. I think so many of us feel that right. Because it's hard to, to see how it can impact all of your relationships, you know, your friendships and your romantic partners and things like that. And so I think by teaching others, I'm continually teaching myself. And so, and, you know, talking about that and helping people learn to communicate and share their emotions Mm-hmm. It's funny how we wear a mask and we're so able to tell other people how to do it, but we're not doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it once they see our vulnerability and, and that we're being honest, I think we'll help others heal even more. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. I think that there's so there's so much strength in even seeing somebody else and knowing that you're not alone. And it yeah. may be gives you the courage then to tell even one person or to talk about it a little bit. And I think also then just acknowledging, you know, I love that you acknowledged the different things that you've went through that are hard. And, you know, and I, I do that as well. I think that's even so important because I never want to give anyone the impression that like, oh, I'm all put together and this was easy. It's work. It's hard. It is hard work. Right. And it's not pretty and it's messy and there's ups and downs and you're, you know, but the thing is, is like really digging in and doing that work and really being, you know, being vulnerable about, about it. And it's so powerful in the end, even if it it doesn't feel like it in the middle of it, you know, being strong feels like surviving. It doesn't feel like being strong. Right. Right. And one thing, you know, I like to acknowledge is that suppressing the pain, suppressing the memories, um, living in that denial is even harder. If you really take a look at, yeah, doing the work and coming through that trauma and acknowledging and accepting, that's a lot of work. But we really have to look at it took a lot of energy and work to stay there, to stay stuck there. That mental energy, like you say, that constant undercurrent is gone now. And I even, um, I have lupus and I firmly believe that, you know, just holding on to that emotional trauma throughout my body for that many years impacted, you know, my body's ability, my body, my body finally had enough and it manifests in this form of this autoimmune disease. Right. And so even then with healing from my trauma in the ways that I have physically, I am doing better with my lupus right. thing. And so it's amazing how really digging in, like you say, it, it feels like it's harder, but it's not in the end because living that way is so much harder. 
Absolutely. So much harder. And thank you for sharing um, your diagnosis of lupus. I know because when we hold that in, the pain and the shame has to go somewhere. And I woke up one day and I was, I literally couldn't see everything was blurry. And I had always had 2015 vision, but I was having a mental and a nervous breakdown. I went to the eye doctor. He said, honey, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. You need to see a different kind of doctor. I mean, he was very empathetic and, and very kind, but it, it manifested into I'm breaking down and it, it's my body, my brain and body was telling me, hey, it's time for you to, to self-care is not selfish, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Self-care is not selfish. No, well, and those pieces, yeah. Those pieces you seem come so up. happy now. You seem so happy now. I'm just... You know, I, I love talking with you. I could talk for, with you for hours. What's one thing that are you happy in your life now? Yeah. You know, I said, I've said this recently to several friends and I truly, if I lived the life I'm living right now every day, I, I'm happy with that. Like just say, I get, I get emotional twinges when I feel something really deeply and there it came. I, Cause I do, I feel that so deeply. Like I, I'm proud of everything that I've created in my life. And I look around and I know how hard I've worked for that. And I don't mean physical possessions. I mean the emotional health that I have been able to bring to myself and my family. And I, I would live this life every single day, just as it is. And, and I get that so much. And I want, I want survivors to be proud of what they, what they persevered through, mm. you know, not be ashamed of their crimes. What is one thing that keeps you, what do you do that keeps you on a positive path and, and staying on this healing process to becoming Cassandra? Uh, my, my personal own time is, it's non-negotiable now back. So it ties in with the self-care that you're saying, mm -hmm. really protecting that space. I, I learned a lot about myself through my healing process. And I realized that I, I need that space to either think or to go do something for me. Nature's been a big part of it. So I, I go outside, you know, find some trees, go on a hike, you know, really just being able to kind of release and let go. So that's become like say it's built into my calendar. It's built into my schedule. It's there. And sometimes that means it's 10 minutes in my backyard. It might not be a huge hike or something like I want, right. but it's there. And so that's been, that's again, made me better in every other area because I know that's I have awesome. that space. Mm -hmm. that's, I like to go out in my backyard barefoot and get grounded. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you get know what, what's interesting is that as I went through my healing process, you know, so much more drawn to nature. And I think I had even kind of shut that piece of me down a mm -hmm. little bit because I wasn't, it, you know, whereas now that's something I, I go to, I'm drawn to. And so, um, especially I live in a town with two rivers and so I have paddle boards. And so I go out on the river yeah. and cry it out on the river. <laughs> I, love I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a good cry this, this last weekend because this, I'm, I'm a doer. I'm a planner. I like to be in control and, and we can't control what's going on with COVID or, and we really can't control anything but the moment and how we choose to be in the moment. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And so it's okay to melt down once in a while. It's okay. Cause as women, 
we do get emotional and it's okay to cry. It's okay. It, because we hold so much in to me, that's releasing all that toxicity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, I could talk with you all day long. I know, me too. <laughs> I'm so glad that we met and I'm going to keep in touch with you. Dr. Cassandra Le- LeClaire, um, where can your listeners, my listeners go to find out more about you? So you can go to my website, which is CassandraLeClaire.com. You can also find me on Facebook at Dr. Cassandra LeClaire or on Instagram at Dr. Cassandra LeClaire. And on my website, there's links. My, this is my book. And so I love it. I love uh, it. Thank you. Thank so you. We have that connection with the kids. I know. Yeah. I don't, I can't pronounce that right. You know, so when I recorded my audio book, I went online and listened over and over to make sure I was going to pronounce it correctly. And it's Kinsuji is Kintsugi. what, that's what the internet told me repeatedly. So that's how I said it. And that's how I said it on my TEDx talk. And somebody made in the comments, well, she, at least she could have learned how to say it, right? No, I know there was, that was my fear though. Exactly that. Cause it's going to live in infamy, just like you, you know, on your TEDx talk. <laughs> Whatever. Life is about success, not perfection, as Dr. Right. Alan Moy says. So, oh, my goodness. Well, I've had so much fun. and I'm, I'm so happy to have you on here. And if, if there's one last thing that you could share with survivors to help them get help, get healed, get happy, what would you like to share with them? Just I would like to say that your story matters. You know, mm-hmm. it, even if you, you know, some people will say, well, I don't want to tell anyone. It doesn't matter if you tell anyone it matters because it's yours. And so just remember that you're not alone and your voice and your story matters. That's awesome. That's powerful. Yeah. And we have nothing to be ashamed of. Mm-mm. Not at it, all. We, and it, so many people ask, why didn't you stop them? Why didn't you tell what well, it's not our responsibility as the victim. It's their responsibility as the predator. But I've had so much fun. I hope that people listen to this. They come and find you and your book and find out more about you and sharing your story, our stories. You know, I tell people someone out there right now is waiting for you to make your dream come alive so that you can make a difference in their life. Mm -hmm. And that's so true. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. I had fun. I had fun. So, all right, Sir Drivers, thanks for tuning in today. We really loved having you here. And, and I'll put the in the show notes uh, Cassandra's uh, information and where you can find her book and her website. So until next time, Sir Driver, I wish you peace, love, and ciao for now. <laughs>